At some point, we all face really confusing situations. And because of our experiences so far, we can't see what's really going on. Then all of a sudden, there is an encounter. Something crazy only God could explain. We have a light bulb moment, and we can finally see things clearly. These insights can significantly change our life direction. What if you could learn from somebody else's light bulb moment? My insight could be your insight. Significant life, God-inspired moments that can change a life. Kia ora, tēnā koto, tēnā koto kato no mai haere mai. It's Māori Language Week. <laughs> but tonight I'm going to be talking about my experiences on El Camino, the Santiago, and the light bulb moments that God broke through to show me. But can I ask that the lights be turned up a little bit so that I can actually see your faces um, in the auditorium? I really want to engage with you if I can. That's better. Wow, there is a turnout. <laughs> um, this message um, tonight is one that I know and I have known probably all my Christian life. It's probably one that you all know too. Um, it's a simple message, but it's not about the message necessarily. It's about where it sits in you. It goes from your mind to your heart, but this message is about how God went to my soul. And that's what I want to share tonight. Craig and I did this journey together, but we both experienced a very different Camino each, and isn't it amazing how God can do that? You're both going along doing exactly the same thing, but God breaks through to you at each at different moments. I just love that. Well, first of all, let me explain what El Camino de Santiago is, uh, or as it's called in English, the way of St. James. So I've got to get used to working. Is it on? <laughs> Sorry, Caleb. Oh, I might turn it on, it might help. <laughs> okay. Awesome. The way. And it's a 1,500-year-old pilgr pilgrimage that started when the so-called tomb of St. James was discovered. Um, there are many legends around it and um, all kinds of rumours and more rumours, But and there are many Caminos all through Europe, but the Camino de Francis is the one that is the most popular. Um, there is the amenities, there's cafes, there's hostels, albergues, all kinds of things, so this one is the most popular, and there's almost over 200,000 people that actually do this journey now every year. Um, it starts in Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port, which is in France, and it winds, its, it winds its way through the top regions of Spain. and. As you can see, it's a jolly long way. It's um, over, for us it was over 800 kilometres because they really only start counting it once you've gone over the Pyrenees. And you, um, yeah, so it's a lot longer than what they say it is. <laughs> Believe me, I found out. Anyway, you can, once you get to the um, saint jean de Compostelle, it's actually um, Santiago de Compostella, um, there is another three-day journey which you get to Finisterre, which is what they call the world's end. We chose not to do that last three days because we wanted to finish at the cathedral. Well, legend has it <coughs> that James the Apostle had once visited the region of Gal Galicia, which is that 
portion over there, and then returned to Jerusalem only to be beheaded by one of the Herods. His followers then brought his body back to Finisterre, which was world's end, to lay his body to rest. Those bones then got shifted to the main cathedral in Santiago. And those who decided to do what was in those days a Catholic pilgrimage would get to the end, pick up a concha or a shell like this at Finisterre, world's end, and then walk all the way back. And this was proof that they had done the journey. So they went back to their, either their um, orders or to their priests and said, I have done the journey. The other thing um, that people uh, used to carry, this is a very mini one. I didn't want to big back a big one. Um, but this is a good which the pilgrims used to carry to carry their water. So I just got this little thing just as a thing. And the other thing, um, at the end of the journey, you receive a compass there, which is all in Latin to prove that you have done the journey. But to prove again, you end up with a, it's called a um, credentia. And this is where you stop on your way. And again, it proves that you actually walked the journey, you didn't cheat. So yeah, actually I saw people cheating. They would get in their car, drive to the next spot, get the stamp, get in their car and drive off again. I thought, oh. Anyway, they were the princess pilgrims. <laughs> okay, so originally, as pilgrims travelled, and these were the signs that we had to follow. There was often just an arrow painted on concrete, or you saw a shell, or you saw that sign there. So those three symbols were the ones that we had to constantly look out for. Um, they were met in churches. Uh, they, they went to the churches of the villages and there the priests would hear their confessions and pay, pray with the pilgrims. Unfortunately, that only happens occasionally now um, as many church, churches have actually had to lock their doors due to vandalism and lack of priests. But the symbolism all through the walk is a constant reminder that you're really doing this for a reason. Most people we met were doing it for one reason or another. It was usually they called it a spiritual journey, however their understanding of spiritual was, or it was a physical journey. They wanted to race it. There were many who did that as well. Um, but we found that no matter why you were on it, ultimately, for the most part, it actually became about your soul. A fellow traveller said to Craig and I that the Camino is like a moving city this massive moving amount of people, whereas in any community, you meet and see all kinds of people. Thieves, kindness, grumpiness, you know, the same as any other city, you're gonna meet those people. But just that it's moving. In one group we met an ex-army guy who ended up mentoring some 20-somethings of which one had just got out of prison and another was a wealthy IT expert. They come from all walks of life, but no matter where you are from, how much money you have or don't have, what education or what you own, the Camino is a total leveller. That's the difference about this moving city. You all deal with the same things and you all sleep in the same places and deal with the same bed bugs. Luckily, we didn't get to deal with the bed bugs. <laughs> I'll just show you this slide. Notice how the bunks are so close together. Too bad if you're a snorer. Or actually, yeah. 
too bad if you sleep next to a bad snorer. But ultimately the Camino can be broken up into thirds. The first third, it becomes about your body. You're dealing with the aches and the pains and some people deal with blisters because they haven't broken their shoes in properly or um, you know, your body hurts. When you get to the end of 25 to 32 kilometres a day, you ache. Your feet are jolly sore. And then it becomes the second third about your mind. You've dealt with the body and now all the thoughts, all those deep dark thoughts that you have and you don't normally have to have time to process during, during your normal working everyday life, you have time then to start processing. And then the third third actually becomes about your soul. You've dealt with your body, you've worked through and processed a lot in your mind, and so then God can dig deep into your soul. Um, unfortunately, because of what happened to me, I hit the soul part pretty quickly. Craig and I had actually spent months training. Um, some people saw us walking the streets before we left, breaking our boots in and getting excited about our coming trip. Um, we spent ages going through our gear, working out what we really needed and what we could do without. It's a bit hard for a woman, I reckon. <laughs> um, especially because, like, I love wearing makeup and it was weight. So over the months of prep, I finally grew to realise that I did not need makeup on the Camino. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> go Bev. Um, I didn't need my little lightweight dress to get changed into at the end of the day. I didn't need six pairs of undies, only three. That was hard. And so I left with three changes of clothes. Um, I tell you what, that was hard, but Craig was very patient. I think that's why he started preparing me months ahead, because he knew I would have all this to deal with. Um, and finally, I, after four months, I got absolutely sick of those three pairs of clothes, but that's okay. As Craig and I got on the plane, where we spent 21 days in Turkey first, and that's a whole nother story, I actually went with no expectations at all thinking that the hard slog of walking was actually going to be enough. We'd both been um, pretty broken with the hardness of the last few years, dealing with the death of our beautiful son-in-law, the looming death of my sister, death of some very, very close friends, and, and also being the brunt of some pretty vicious gossip. And we wondered, to be honest, if we were too damaged to possibly come back and lead this beautiful church? It was a question that we also put in our backpacks as we left. I can assure you now though, that night we're here to stay. So, <laughs> yeah. So my attitude was a little bit more of fear and trembling than it was excitement. I tried not to show that to my darling husband, but I was actually really worried about how my body would cope. <laughs> I'm not skinny, I'm not fit, and also how my mind and soul was going to find that peace in God that I knew I needed to find again. I'd had some pretty amazing light bulb moments through these last few years, as God turns up, but I did still feel a bit damaged. And I realise now, though, that those little light bulb moments that I had through the years leading up to this were actually the fertiliser 
to what God really wanted to say to me. We met um, a couple, Pam and Dan, and they have the privilege of being able to um, probably travel four to five months a year. Amazing couple. They um, won... Dan is a biochemist, and Pam was a very high-powered lawyer. They quit and became artists. Love it. But anyway, (laughs) Um, and this was their third Camino. Their first one, Pam only got halfway through before her foot um, collapsed. And um, their second one, they actually did it slowly and got to know it. And their third one, they were doing it alongside us. And Craig asked the question, he said, why, why would you do it three times? And Dan just said, well, what would you prefer? Sitting on a beach in Hawaii or doing this? At that time, Hawaii was my pick. <laughs> yes, it, it, it sounded pretty good to me. With makeup, yeah. <laughs> so even my attitude actually wasn't the best. So I had decided very early on that I was going to study the book of James. After all, I was doing the dude's walk. Um, Book of James, gosh, I mean, why would you? The first part says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You think I would have known, wouldn't you? With a scripture like that, what did I expect but trouble? Little did I realize, actually, I love the message version. It goes like this, and this is where I need my glasses. Consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. More on that later. I don't know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believing without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. Isn't that a great way of putting that scripture down? It's softer than that one. Anyway, (laughs) the first day um, we started out, um, we found it an absolutely easy walk. We walked for about two and a half hours and we were going to stop halfway before Roncevalle, which is the actual going over of the Pyrenees um, from France to Spain. We felt great. It had been easy. We'd trained for this. And so we got halfway where we thought we were going to stay. And we decided to carry on. Big mistake. <laughs> Biggest one ever. The next four hours we spent uphill like this, climbing 800 metres in a very steep way. I remember stopping halfway. You know, you think about the mount, there's nothing. I remember, yeah, stopping halfway and taking off my pack and sitting down, and I just cried. It was hard. Nobody ever told me how hard it was actually going to be. You know, you look up these things, 
and, and you know, you read the books and you research and nobody ever says how hard it is. Oh, anyway, Craig was incredibly patient. He really was. You see, my mind had started going down some very dark places and I got my first hangry on. And Craig spoke about hangry last Sunday. And for those of you who don't know what a hangry means, it means that you are hungry and you get angry. Yeah. At about 2.30, 3pm, your body needs refueling. And when it doesn't get it, your whole mood changes. Forget about menopause, mate. You ain't seen nothing until you get a hangry on. Anyway, you become the snarly little snivelling beast until you feed it. Again, Craig was great. He was very patient. Yeah. You see, my mind was not as strong as I thought it was. And then it was like God sent an angel, an angel that was far worse off than me. Mike was his name, and he'd given up. In fact, we noticed a few people along the way who had given up. They really struggled with this terrible climb. He had more than a hangry on. I think he'd gotten past that stage. He was near death. And he was like zombified. He was sitting there and there was this glazed look over his eyes. And actually we felt quite worried for him. So we fed him, got him watered, picked him up and started pushing him forward. And I realized that actually he cried, I think, more often than I did. And it made me realize that there is always someone who is finding it harder than you are. Great God. Great God is great by showing up that sometimes, isn't he? But then what happened? Take a look at that. I, it was in my first week and we'd climbed one of the, again, steepest parts of the Camino and we were climbing down and in this book, you know, I didn't take much notice of it initially, then it became like my Bible actually, but um, on the pages where it says downhill and there's a major exclamation mark in red, you take notice because we were going down this hill like this and the boulders were about this big and we were walking and juggling going down this path and yeah, it was hard, really hard. And I knew I'd done something to my knee but I didn't realise at that time that, oh yeah, that was a bit of a twinge. And we got to the bottom and I'd walked another couple of kilometres and my knee blew up like a balloon. Um, yeah, it was nasty. I had a lot of pain and I knew that I wouldn't be able to walk much further. I had my pack on and Craig offered to carry my pack. I fought that one, that was my pride, until he got, not hangry, but angry. And <laughs> I fought him taking that pack, but he carried two packs so that we could get to the next town and I could get to the hospital. So I went, I hobbled off, off to the hospital and the doctor there couldn't speak very good English and he goes, oh, knee, broken. I went, my knee's not broken. So it was really scary and I was thinking, what am I going to do here? Finally I got him on Google Translate, brilliant, and we managed to communicate and he told me that I had torn a ligament in my knee and that I could not walk again. That upset me so much because I was only going one week, one week into the walk. What was I going to do? 
Finally, I argued with the doctor as well, and <laughs> he managed to um, agree that once the swelling had gone down and if I wore a brace, I would be able to carry on. And so that's the brace I got. Big steel pieces down the side, but it held my knee stable. And um, once the swelling went down, I could fit it on and walk again. But that actually um, took five days. So I was pretty, I went back to um, see Craig and I was pretty brassed off. I was very upset that God would let this ha happen. But then um, I had a little bit of time on my own and God said, Michaela, this is exactly where I want you. Wounded, hurt, in pain, but looking to him. And then God showed me another scripture in James to dwell on, and it's also in the message. Um, and it says, anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons are loyally in love with God. The reward is life and more life. Well, I couldn't really argue with that, could I? I mean, it was in the word. <laughs> and so I made a choice. A choice to be kind to my husband, kind to myself. And God told me, okay, Michaela, your Camino is not going to be like anyone else's. Your Camino is not going to be like Craig's. This is your Camino. And so I made a decision to turn my attitude around and try and find that pure joy. I decided not to let Craig stop and wait while my knee went down and I could walk again. So I became part of a, the bus brigade. And I met the walking wounded. It, and boy, I was amazed at how many there were. And I met a whole new community. Um, I, I actually loved it because I've got a bit of a personal motto. Um, it's sometimes good and sometimes bad, but I get this unbearable feeling when I see a person alone. And part of one of my personal mottos is no person alone. And so I would see these poor walking wounded sad-faced people and go, no person alone, oh, oh, let's gather them all in. And in the bus stations and in the buses, we ended up singing one day down, driving down the road as we got to the next stop. And so God helped me form new communi community. It was amazing. Um, I saw things that others didn't that were walking. I got to explore the villages in a greater way. I met locals and actually improved my Spanish greatly. Learned some really good phrases. Donde este el baño? Café con leche, very important. <laughs> uh, where is the bathroom? And coffee with milk, please. Um, but over those days, I realized that this was my Camino that it was okay, and not just anyone else's. And that in the pain, because boy it hurt, God was there. I just needed to actually humble myself. As I went out, I was able to suss out great albergues, which are hostels of, of, um, like you saw in that picture before. And if there was a kitchen, I set about cooking a great feast so that everyone who came in had a celebration night. Yes, you made another day. And in my brokenness, I did help create community. And these people became my Camino Fano, my family, 
I knew that the way I care for others, opening my heart, my hands, and my arms for just one person shows how I care for everyone, wondering, not wondering whether it benefits me or how it's going to benefit me. Too often we give up so that, so too often we give out so that we can get back. That's what not my Camino was about. And that is not what God asks of us. We are to give of ourselves just as he gave of himself. Full stop. Psalm 25.9 said, He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And that's why I put the full stop at the end. So even in my brokenness, in my mind, I was confused, I was hurt by others, I was grieving, I was angry, and just so, so sad. My body, well, that was obvious. It was um, not doing too well. And my soul, I felt damaged, and I was wondering where God was. And I was asking the question, why? And my soul was numb and empty. But God was there, fully present in the midst of it, lifting me up, exalting me, and teaching me his way, not my own selfish way. It's okay to not be okay. A quote from a beautiful woman who is one of my closest friends. She's shown me that with the disease that she carries in her body, she has shown me and many others what it means to not sit and feel sorry for yourself, hates it when others come up and say, oh, are you okay? Hates it. And you know what her answer is? You're never okay with it, but you get on with it. I cannot trade what I don't understand about God for what I do know about God. And that's Monica. You don't hear her complain. You don't see her feeling sorry for herself. And she doesn't want you to. But God has given her a voice. And so I honor you, Monica. You have taught me and many others so much, and you're an incredible inspiration. Through brokenness, and if you are willing, opening your eyes and your ears to God going before you, you will then see, and only then will you see, that God is absolutely sovereign. Psalm um, 73.28 says, um, I'll have to read that actually. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. There's another version that I, I love even better. But as for me, God's presence is all I need. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. He withholds no good thing from those who have integrity. That became my new personal motto as my body started to heal and the swelling went down and I was able to walk again five days later with the brace on. I became known as the, the Kiwi with the hurt knee. <laughs> anyway, things were going along really nicely 
and we made good time each day with the knee brace on, and I felt confident to do the rest of the Camino going fine. But then disaster struck again. The, I think we were in about the third or fourth week, and I was in trouble. What happens apparently is as you are walking, and no matter how much training you put in, no ma matter how much you break your boots in, you end up with blisters. When you are doing a sustained amount of walking like that, carrying the weight of a pack, and your feet start swelling, after about three to four weeks, sometimes they stop going down when you rest at night. And so even though I'd bought, as I was advised, a pair of shoes that were a size bigger, my feet had swollen to the point where they weren't going down. And I remember going down this hill and feeling these blisters, knowing that my toenails were turning black. I had four, two on the outside that were just an incredible pain. I thought, uh-oh, I'm really, really in trouble. And I ended up with some of the nastiest blisters I've ever had on the end of my toes, underneath my toes, and down the side of my feet. And I haven't shown, I've got nasty pictures, and I certainly won't <laughs> show you those, but it felt like the whole tops of my toes were coming off and left with raw skin, and ugh, anyway, gross, nasty. It got um, so nasty that my all my two, four toenails fell off. And um, yeah, once again, I was humbled. I showed you the nice picture. <laughs> you actually lose all sense of dignity on the Camino as you treat each other's blisters. And 95% of everyone will get them. Craig is the only person that I know who did not get them. What's with that? Closer to God. Ah, closer to God. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with my soul. <laughs> Nothing wrong with his soul, he said. <laughs> anyway, you actually lose your complete sense of dignity. And on the Camino, you actually lose all sense of your personal space as well as you treat one another, as you sleep very closely together, and you have communal bathrooms. Oh, I tell you, those communal bathrooms. No, no, it's really, no, I wasn't gonna do that. But it is actually really hard when you're a very um, conservative Kiwi and you walk in, you go, whoa, don't need to see that, you know. Anyway, it is a new experience. <laughs> But, and you end up breaking down walls that you didn't realize you had. Um, your pride ends up taking some really, really big hits. And so once again, I joined the bus crew, the bus gang, the walking wounded for a few days, as I had to be really, really careful of infection. Um, I'm now an absolute expert on blisters. I know how to deal with them, I know how to prevent them, and I know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm brilliant at them. And so I became blister sister who treated all the blisters on the Camino <laughs> for everyone, yuck. Anyway, so once again, I met a new community and had some amazing fun as my motto of no person alone kicked into gear. 
I got into um, a working monastery, which was a closed monastery that no one is actually normally allowed in. The hospitalier of the village, um, he took me through a secret passage, and this monastery was huge and beautiful. And he took me inside where the monks see no one, and they talk with no one else. They're closed. It's a very closed monastery. And I remember walking in going, oh my gosh, the beauty of the place, the paintings, the, the Fresnos. It was just stunning. And then suddenly we heard voices and the monks were coming. The guy grabbed me, shoved me in a cupboard and shut the door <laughs> as the monks walked past. <laughs> but anyway, I... Um, I <laughs> Yes, I actually also got mixed up in a protest in one of the cities. I didn't realise <laughs> that I, um, I was walking in and suddenly there was all these police and these people with flags and loud hailers and all kinds of things. Oh, great, they're having a party. <laughs> you know, suddenly I heard this massive bang and I hit the deck. It sounded like a bomb and luckily I wasn't embarrassed on my own because everyone else hit the deck as well. And smoke everywhere and I managed to crawl my way out of the um, square that I'd stumbled in upon without getting the tear gas into my eyes, which I was very, very grateful for. But I actually, apart from that incident, I actually learnt to love getting lost in the cities. I used to be such a fraidy cat, Craig will tell you, I couldn't do anything without him leading me, guiding me. And, um, but I found that getting lost meant that you never knew what God might put in front of you, who to meet, or what he had in store for you to see. I could give away the bomb scares though, um, but I did find myself alone at times, having the space to have those hard chats with God. Yeah, sometimes you don't like those alone times, don't you? Don't you? At one point I had to go um, two days ahead of Craig because the buses didn't actually stop at any of the um, villages that Craig was going to be walking through. Again, I found that quite hard. I was supposed to be doing the Camino with Craig, not without him. And it was in that time alone, in a very, very big city, that I had, again, found myself on my knees, as far as my knee would let me bend. <laughs> um, and as God gently brought up all the rubbish, all the hurt, all the grief, and as I repented, and yes, I repented of my selfish ways, my dark thoughts, and my lack of relationship with him, so he gave me back my peace, and I learned to trust again. Going from understanding God's sovereignty to understanding the real meaning of trust actually blew my mind. You know, I was able to forgive the gossipers and the maligners and put everything into perspective once again. And I was able to see that I can trust Jesus in most people again. I needed to be the bigger person. And whereas before, I felt like shutting the world out completely. But mostly, I learned that I can trust God so completely that he is always, always, no matter what you do, going ahead of you, making a way. Most of you know me. I'm always full steam ahead, going flat out, going, come on, let's do this, come on board, let's go. 
Well, God's brought me back to go, wait for me. Wait for me. I'm not saying that what I did in the, did in the past was wrong, but it just meant that I can take more people with me. I can trust God so completely that he will go ahead of me, making a way. An exciting, sometimes scary, but an incredibly wondrous way. I just needed to look up, to listen, and to see. The scripture in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. The Camino, like that first picture I showed you at the beginning, seems like this daunting, hard, windy, mountainous path. But God, what, what God was refining in me was helping me to see that he was making my path straight. The road became not so hard, and the rhythm of walking became easy, and I now really miss it. As my body healed, so did my mind, and so did my soul. We reached the cathedral 33 days from when we first started, on a very misty and cold morning, when no one was around. It was weird, actually. Here we were getting into this huge city and there was no people. I thought the rapture had come and that we'd missed it. <sighs> a bit worried there for a bit, but anyway, I found out that we found out that it was a public holiday and we were okay. Phew. But as we attended a beautiful service and watched the Boto Fumier, which you can very see, see very vaguely, that big silver thing in the middle there, and the monks, there's a whole lot of monks pulling, and it swings so wide. I had a deep sense of knowing that although my Camino was different to Craig's Camino or anyone else's Camino, it was my Camino. And I'd achieved the whole walk, injuries and all, bar for about eight days. By the way, the huge incense thing that was swinging, the tradition is that basically it was to fumigate the pilgrims. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, it's actually quite moving when it goes though. And, and although as we walked into the cathedral square, knowing it was the end, I realised it wasn't the end. It was actually the beginning. The beginning of a whole new way of looking at life and using whatever God puts in my hand, loving who he puts in front of me and moving forward in his way, not my own. Our Camino family are now lifelong friends, <laughs> many who will come and visit us here and I hope that you get to meet. And it was this community that helped us to change. It is a community that is important. It is community that rubs those rough edges off us. It is community that cares for us when we need. People, I urge you, don't do the journey alone. It's not worth it. Find your whanau. It might be here at BBC. Find them. Talk to your neighbours next door to you in church. Sit somewhere different and say hello to a stranger. You, um, you know, it might be a small group, it might be a large group. You might be introvert and it's hard. Or you might be extrovert and you go overboard. <laughs> 
But the reality is that when you just reach out and say hi, that person beside you is probably feeling more scared than you are. And that's what I learned, because I'm, believe it or not, I'm actually an introvert. <laughs> reach out, touch someone, talk to them, and in turn you will find others reach out and touch you as you open your arms. This was, my, this was mine and Craig's Camino Fano. And for some of the young ones, because of my injuries, they allowed me into their lives and I became Camino Mum. Because I first welcomed them. And these young ones and the older ones <laughs> took us aside and tearfully told us how much we had impacted their lives. We had no idea. By watching how we handled things, to the long talks we had about our faith as we walked, and to the love and care that we were able to give, asking for nothing in return. And I know that we'll see them again. Amazing people. And so there was this little pilgrim's prayer. Unfortunately, the translation of the English wasn't so good because I did get it translated from Spanish a bit later on. Um, and it says, it was in a tiny, tiny little church, and it says, Jesus, my Lord and friend, you, the icon of God, or as I say, you, the son of God, you, the fountain of communion, of freedom and love, you, whom, who are my servant, which actually translate, I, who am your servant, that's how it was meant to be, walk always with me. That's what I learned on the Camino. And so remember, you can consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm not going to ask you to come up for prayer because I know that there is someone right beside you, or you may know them, you may not know them, who can pray just as well as any of us can. And as Craig comes up and leads us in communion, and the young adults group comes forward and serves you communion, let's reach, other, let's reach out to each other and pray now. Place your hand on your neighbour's shoulder. Hold their hand. Touch them in some way if you can, and let's pray. And afterwards, introduce yourselves to one another and let's form Sunday night whānau. Let me pray. God, what a privilege that you have chosen us, a humble people, to be the hands and feet of your precious son, Jesus. We know the pain and the suffering and the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we may be with you in eternity. I know that sometimes pain and suffering and the loss of loved ones can bring eternity just that much closer. So help us, Lord, to consider it pure joy, to understand that our trials, hurts and pain can be seen from a different perspective. Help us to walk humbly, Lord, so that we may trust in your sovereignty of who you are. Deal with our pride, Lord, so that nothing stands in the way of being guided by you. 
Help us to not do it alone. To find our whānau, our family, who can walk the way with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.